You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Welcome back to the podcast. So today's episode is on the Sunnah of Shura. And this week, my theme sort of has been this idea of feedback. So Alhamdulillah, I restarted my YouTube channel and the latest video that I posted on there was three things I learned from the from the new book by Patrick Lencioni called The Motive. And it's about two different intentions that a leader may have when they ascend into a leadership role. And one of the points in there was the necessity of a strong inner circle. And that's something I'm going to be talking about in today's episode as well. And then on my blog, the latest article is on this idea called American Idol Syndrome, which is something that we teach in our public speaking workshop. And again, I'll be going into that in in detail as well. But to kick off the, the episode here today, I wanted to talk about Shura from two different perspectives. So when I look at leadership, and this is something that I've kind of come to conclude as of late, is that there's two different approaches to leadership, so or two different skill sets, rather. There's two important skill sets that a leader, leader needs to have. One is strategic thinking, and the other is character development. And Shura is something that actually touches on both. So the process of Shura, doing Shura correctly, is something that will help you make better strategic decisions, which will help any type of an organization or any type of a team to perform better, And then also the concept of Shura when done properly provides you with the feedback that you need to grow. So to kick it off, we're going to dive into what I what I feel is the foundation of all leadership of all of these principles. And that comes from this ayah in Surah Ali Imran, ayah 159. So by mercy from Allah, you, O Muhammad وسلم, you were lenient with them. Had you been rude and harsh in heart, they would have disbanded from you. So pardon them, ask forgiveness for them, and consult with them in the matter. And when you have decided, then rely upon Allah. Indeed, Allah loves those who rely upon him. So the context for this eye is actually is the battle of Uhud. And what happened in the battle of Uhud is the Prophet ﷺ had received information that the Quraysh were coming. So he was deciding between going out of the city and meeting them or waiting in Medina and defending themselves, defending themselves there. And so... He, he got the information, he talked to his close companions, and then he presented this information to the larger community to take their feedback. And so some of the, you can say some of the youth that were a little bit more energetic, they had missed out on the Battle of Badr. And so they wanted that reward. They wanted that same udder that the other companions had gotten. And so they were really hyped up. They were really excited. They said, no, let's go out and fight them. And the Prophet ﷺ had he had indicated subtly that his preference was to stay in Medina and defend themselves there. But these these young men, they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And so the Prophet ﷺ, he said, okay, then that's what we're, we're going to go with. So when the meeting ended, some of the elder companions, they came to these young men and they said, look, guys, don't you realize 
that when the Prophet said such and such, that his he was indicating his preference was to stay in Medina. And now you guys have pushed him into making a decision that's not what he initially wanted to do. And so they felt guilty. Of, of course, they don't want to disobey or upset the Prophet Wasallam. So they go back and they apologize to him and they find him and say, Rasulullah, you know, we can, let's change, let's go back. But by that time, he had put on his armor and he made that famous statement that it's, it's not befitting a prophet that he puts on his armor and then takes it off without fulfilling its purpose. And so in this case, in this situation, we see this concept of, of shura. And what's, in, what's interesting about this scenario is that if we go back to the ayah that I quoted, it says... Pardon them, ask forgiveness for them, and consult them in the manner. So even the people that maybe had, had pushed you to make a decision that you may not have wanted to take, you still seek forgiveness for them. That's the responsibility of a leader. He's, he still has that compassion toward the people that he's leading, and you still continue consulting with them. And Abu Hurairah, he, he narrated, he said that I never saw anyone taking as much shura as the Prophet ﷺ. And that in and of itself, for me, that's that's the key, that's the crux of this entire topic. Because if there was ever an individual that could simply announce, it's my way or the highway, it would have been him, obviously, ﷺ, because you could have said, I am the Prophet, I receive revelation, here is the decision that we are making. And the companions, we know, they would have said, Samitna wa Arthatna, we hear and we obey, and they would have happily followed through in implementing whatever decision it was that he had made, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But the fact that he made this a habit, even though he, you know, if he could have dispensed with it, but he still made it a habit, shows to us the importance of this concept of shura. And Allah also says, وَالَّذِينَ اسْتَجَابُوا لِرَبِّهِمْ وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَأَمْرُهُمْ شُورًا بَيْنَهُمْ وَمِمَّا رَزَقَنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And those who have responded to their Lord and established prayer and whose affair is determined by consultation amongst themselves and from what we have provided they spend. So here we're seeing this idea that the believers are those who decide their affairs by way of shura, by way of consultation. So let's now split this down into these two categories, strategic thinking and character development. So with strategic thinking, the, the big picture here is this. The challenge in, in any business, in any organization, is the idea of making the right decision or making the best decision possible based on the information that you have available to you at that time. You're never going to be in a situation where you have everything that you need. But you are going to be in situations where you have to make decisions and move forward quickly. Sometimes inaction, I mean, inaction is a decision. Not doing something is a decision. And the wrong decision can have negative consequences. So the idea is, how can we eliminate as many blind spots as possible from our decision-making process? And so there's a, there's a book called Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. And I did a, a video explanation of that book, which I'll link to in the show notes. But... One thing that they they actually did not include this in the book, this was in some of the supplementary material they sent out, was there's this idea of the banana bread business. And I love using this example because it really clarifies this idea of how we can sometimes fall into traps, whether it's confirmation bias or emotional attachment or other things that sway our decision making 
and make us think that we're doing the right thing when in fact we're making the wrong decision. So the way that the story goes is like this. There's uh, this man, he works in an office building and his wife is obsessed with, you know, the everything free baking, like gluten free, nut free, allergen free, dairy free, soy free, like everything free banana bread. And so she makes it for him and he takes it to work. And if you've ever been in a corporate environment, you know that it doesn't matter what kind of food you bring. If you put it out for free, it's gone, right? So if you have, I mean, we're all guilty of it, right? If people bring over food uh, to your house and you can't finish it, you take it to work. You put it in the break room, you send out an email and say, hey, there's free cake or free pastries or free whatever. And within a few minutes, it's gone. And people don't complain because they just want the free food. So anyway, this guy, he keeps bringing this uh, everything free, gluten-free banana bread to work. And people come and they take it and they eat it. And he comes home, he tells his wife, like, man, people must really love your banana bread. They keep gobbling it up. And she's like, oh, okay, that's great. So she keeps making it, he keeps taking it. Eventually, they, you know, there's a holiday party. So he brings his wife to the holiday party. And now the co-workers wanting to be nice, they get trying to think of a connection point. So they're like, oh, hey, thank you for baking all that bread and sending it over. You know, we really love it, really enjoy it, so on and so on, uh, to be polite. And so she takes this as feedback. And so they go home and they say, okay, we've really got a winner on our hands here. So let's let's start a business. Let's, let's open up a bakery store and let's sell this gluten-free banana bread there. And they go and they go off and they open a store. So now the the point of this exercise is well, okay, what what went wrong? Will this succeed? And everyone knows obviously this is not going to succeed because there was a lot of confirmation bias, there's a lot of blind spots in their decision making. What they should have done was get more qualified feedback, maybe try to sell smaller batches. And on top of that, they don't know what they don't know. So they don't know if this bread is going to sell. They haven't gotten qualified feedback. But even more than that, there's this whole other arena of knowledge of if we open up a business, what's the location? How have other businesses fared before in that location? What type of, what would the cost be? What's the way to gauge whether this is succeeding or not? Is there a way to maybe do an experiment, like invest $10,000 into upgrading our equipment and seeing how long it takes to make our money back? There's a million and one things that they could have and should have done. There's a million and one things that they, they should have asked about, but they took that little bit of feedback. It confirmed how they felt. It reinforced their personal passions and dreams. And so they ran with it much to what will end up being their own detriment. So this idea of Shura is meant to uncover those blind spots. You can't learn all those lessons only the hard way, right? Only from the school of hard knocks. You need to find a way to maximize and economize in a sense that decision-making process. And so the way that that happens is by making sure that you've got a good team around you or your, or your team has a process in place whereby when there's a decision on the table that they can debate the merits of that idea and get all the information out on the table. Now, I'll give you one example from working in Islamic organizations or masajid is that this process does not exist many times. And so, for example, when an issue comes up for a vote, instead of there being a discussion and maybe even a debate as to the merits of the idea, what happens oftentimes that there's politicking outside of the room and 
people will come into the meeting. Let's say it's a Shura council of seven people. Four of them may have met beforehand, come to an agreement. And now when it's time to discuss the issue, they say, well, we've got no need to talk about it. Let's just take a vote. And so the other three people end up feeling marginalized because their voices were never heard. And so this becomes really problematic. And this is what ends up causing a lot of politics, quote unquote, in the community. A proper Shura process, the way that that looks is that the people at the table, the people that are a part of your process, they're able to raise issues. They're empowered to debate the ideas on their merits. And then the leader needs to be able to take all of that into account and say like, okay, we've heard everyone out. We've taken all these things into consideration. And now we might not be able to make everyone happy. Like consensus is not realistic. You're never, you should not have everyone always agreeing to everything all the time. Otherwise, it means you don't have enough diversity in the room. But it's up to a leader then to take that shura, take all the differing opinions, say that we've assessed all of this information, we've assessed all these viewpoints, and now we can make an educated decision that this is the way that we're going to go. And the funny thing is, is that even people who maybe weren't on board with that approach, the fact that their ideas were heard or their objections were heard, and that they were taken into account means that they'll buy in even if they weren't initially in agreement with the idea. But whatever decision you're making, you need to make sure that you're involving people in that process who have been down that road before, people who are involved in different parts of your organization, different stakeholders. Identify all the different types of people who might be involved or even different types of people that you can consult even if they're not within your team or organization and make them a part of your Shura process to make sure that you're you're doing the best job possible. Now, one, one point that's really got to be emphasized here is this idea of diversity, and that is the, the group that you take Shura from should be diverse in the sense of not just their expertise and their strengths, but in the traditional sense as well. And that's doubly important when it comes to Islamic work or community work. The reason being, and it's not an issue of the token diverse, like we need to make sure that we have a convert or a person of color or a woman or this or that. It's not the idea of token diversity, but it's if you don't have the proper representation, then when you make a decision, those other groups end up becoming collateral damage of the decision that you make. And I think the most common example, and it's unfortunate, is probably the design of women's prayer spaces in our massages. So I'll give you one example. Like there's a masjid that's near us that's gigantic, right? It's huge. But the women's prayer area for a lot of women is not usable because the way that it was designed is that there's rooms in the back for moms with small kids and then there's the prayer area, but only people in the very front are able to actually see into the main prayer hall or be able to view the speaker. And what happens is that moms with younger kids, when they go in the other room, Moms who have older kids might leave their kids in there. And so the younger moms, the moms with the younger kids end up having to watch their own kids plus the other older kids that were dropped off. And so essentially it makes an experience such that a lot of those moms don't want to go to that masjid. Now, this is something that could easily have been avoided had you gotten diverse feedback from the right group of people in that construction and planning project. But because you didn't, 
that problem now exists and a lot of people may not feel comfortable coming to the masjid or they may feel that there's no point in going because even when they show up, they can't benefit. That's the idea of collateral damage, that people are impacted by the decisions that you make. And if you don't have those people at your table, then you're not going to have a line of sight into how your decisions are affecting them. So a core part of Shura is making sure that you are identifying all the people that might be impacted by a decision that you make, taking their input, making sure that they're empowered for their voices to be heard. And this is the way that a community gets stronger. Because one, you know, one of the interesting things about Shura is some scholars have commented that it's a means of actually increasing the ties of brotherhood and sisterhood. Because when you go to someone and you ask them for their input, like you're genuinely interested in their opinion, it's something that makes them feel better because they feel valued, but it also then increases their bond and their relationship with you. And then now when you do make a decision, if by chance it doesn't turn out the way that you wanted, because you involve these people in your process, they're more willing to give you the benefit of the doubt and saying that at least you followed a good process in making the decision and they'll be forgiving of the outcome and willing to work with you on improving it. And so this is a a characteristic of a strong leader is that they're taking the, sh the Shura process and that Shura process now is better informing their decision making, which is enabling them to think more strategically and make better decisions for the health of their organization that increases their leadership capacity. Now, the second, the second thing is how Shura impacts your personal character development. And it could actually, it could be character development or even your skills development. So one example we use, and this is something that we do in the Khatib and public speaking workshop is always give this example on the first episodes of American Idol. And I haven't seen the show in a long time, but you know, when it, when I used to watch it, this would always happen is they'd have someone on and they it would always be the similar type of story. They're from like this one stoplight town in the middle of nowhere. And this person's grown up with this passion of singing, this dream of singing, and they're interviewing all their friends they're like, yeah, this is the best person that we've ever heard. And they're going to win this competition. And the judges are going to be in awe of him and, and all this stuff. And, you know, this person sings at all of our events and so on and so on and so on. And they really draw that make this long, elaborate story of how just amazing everyone thinks that this person is. And so then when they get up and they start their audition, it's horrible. It's terrible. And then the judges will stop them and be like, please stop. Like do humanity a service and don't ever do this in public again because it's painful to listen to you. And so now objectively, technically, what's what's taken place is that this person has received an expert assessment of their level of skill, and they've been told that they're horrible. Do they accept that feedback? Absolutely not. They're emotionally devastated by that feedback. They start crying. They start wailing. They're like, I can't believe they said that. And they don't know. They just, you know, they, they don't know how to react. And so they're like, oh, I'm going to prove them wrong. And the judges aren't, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, I'll show them. And their friends are reinforcing that behavior by saying, oh, the judges can't, just can't handle how awesome you are. And, and this and that. And just, you know, rebuilding that person's shattered ego. And of course, we know that that person was truly terrible. And they're probably never going to succeed in this industry. And they almost never do. And so... There is this concept that 
even when we get feedback, there's something that's preventing us from being able to accept it. And so one example that I share is that this happens a lot with khutbah. One thing that's really interesting with the Qalam Khatib workshop project, public speaking project, is the first few times we did it, we would always get people emailing us saying, can you please tell such and such person to come and attend? Because we have to listen to them every week and they're horrible, right? They're terrible. The problem though is that that, that person, that speaker, that khatib, Every Friday when they're done talking, there's going to be a line of people telling them, you're awesome, you're amazing, this was great, fantastic khutbah, etc., etc., etc. And so now, if this person's been giving khutbah for like 10 years, and now someone comes and says, hey, actually, your public speaking really needs some work. Like, you need to sit down and, and, and get some help with this or figure out a better way to do this. In their mind, they can rationally say, I've been giving, I've been speaking for 10 years and 99% of the people love me. This one person seems to have a problem with me. It actually does seem very logical and rational to say, I'm going to discount this feedback because it's not aligned to the feedback that I've been getting. And so in that sense, they drink their own Kool-Aid. So in order to prevent that, a person needs to have a strong personal shura process in that you have a strong inner circle that can hold you accountable. Because one thing that happens is that the more quote-unquote successful that you become, the more that people will fill your ears with praise. And if you don't have a mechanism to counteract it, you'll begin to believe that and drink your own Kool-Aid, so to speak. And so you need people that have your best interest at heart and will give you the feedback that other people won't give you. They'll tell you the things about about your reputation, about how you're, you're performing. You know, when, when it comes to leadership development, one thing that, that some organizations do is that idea of 360 feedback, that we're going to continually survey the people that you work with, whether they report to you or you report to them or, that, or they're at a peer level, that we're going to collect feedback from all of them to assess your performance. And maybe we can make that anonymous and share it with you, but in a good organization, they'll take that feedback and they can actually chart it year over year and see how you're actually doing on some of these things. But it it requires that step of going out and soliciting that feedback. So the people that you take Shura from at a personal level need to be people that are close to you and that they're people that can comfortably tell you the things that you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. So just to share a couple of examples, and I'll go along with this idea of giving khutbah is that I remember one time, for example, I gave khutbah and I, I thought, you know, I, I, alhamdulillah, I did an amazing job, right? Like I, I really nailed it. I had prepared. I had given the speech exactly with the way that I was hoping. The first few people I talked to were, you know, all like, oh, that was great. Good job. So I was kind of feeling it. And I see my dad coming. So now I'm, you know, let me go get that validation. So I go to my dad and I'm like, so how was it? And he looks at me. He's like, did you prepare this week? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, it didn't seem like it. Usually you do a lot better. And so immediately that whole bubble was just burst, right? And, but but I need someone like that to give me that feedback. Otherwise, it's very easy to get, to get high on yourself. Another time I, I gave khutbah and my mom came up to me and she goes, why were you so angry? And 
I'm like, no, I, you know, I had a positive uplifting message. You know, I checked all the boxes, et cetera. And she goes, no, you just seemed, you seemed really angry. And so I went back and watched the video. And sure enough, even though I technically had a, a positive and optimistic message, the, when I watched the video, I realized that a frown on my face the entire time. And it was because of a situation at work that day and things were hectic and crazy. I just didn't really feel like giving it. And then it showed when I went and gave it. But again, it's something that had I not gotten that feedback from her, I would have never noticed it. I would have never known that that was something that I needed to go and fix. Kids, by the way, are fantastic at telling you exactly what they think. And the worst thing that I do is take my kids to khutbas that I'm giving and then ask them afterward how I did. And so even as recently as last Friday, I took my daughter with me. And on the when we got in the car after, I said, so... How was it? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I wasn't listening. I got bored. Right. And so it's like, you know, the one person that you're hoping might actually be listening, that just brings you back down to earth. But you need people that you take Shura from that. It's not just that they're giving you feedback, but it's people who who know you, who know the type of person that you are and they want what's best for you. And there's and there's a trap that we really need to talk about, which is when it comes to Islamic work. You know, I've seen I've seen this and it's it's an unfortunate example where the more Dawa work, for example, that someone's doing, so the more notoriety they're getting, the more invitations they're getting, the more popularity they're getting, and so they want to go full force into doing that work. The problem is is that there's a trade off. And that means that you're trading off time with, with friends, obviously. It might you might be trading off time with family. And so when people close to you or close to this person, for example, might say like, hey, you need to watch out for this because this is becoming problematic. A person in that situation now has a choice to make. They can either view their responsibilities to their family as a point of friction, as an impediment, as something that they need to sacrifice for this greater good of the Tao work that they're doing, or they can take that into account and they can listen. And in cases where a person doesn't listen, I've seen that their their family life will suffer, right? They they may in in the worst case end up losing their their spouse, losing their kids uh, because of that. And what's what's even worse in a sense, well not worse, but what's what's telling in a sense is that the people giving them that feedback and saying like you need to watch out for this they'll actually remove those people from their inner circle and replace them with yes men, people that will tell them what it is that they want to hear. And when someone does that, it's a sign of it's a sign of their ego and narcissism in a sense, but it's also a sign of not wanting to take actual shura or not respecting a proper shura process because the people that were trying to advise you with what's best for you, you weren't listening to them. So that part of shura is integral. Looking at it from the other perspective, if the people close to you, for example, your your close friends or your family members are people that you value, then they need to have an actual voice in your shura process. And so your family should be able to give you shura. Your close friends should be able to give you shura. And you need to take that feedback into account, especially when or sometimes when it goes against your own desires because they're looking out for what's best for you. But in either case, you need to be making sure that 
you're taking constant consultation from those around you to make the best decision possible. And so, so all of this, going back to the ayah that we quoted in the beginning, the ayah ends with, Innallaha yuhibbul mutawakkilin. This ayah in Surah Ali Imran, this is the foundation that so by mercy from Allah, where you, you were lenient with them, had you been rude and harsh in heart, they would have disbanded from you. So pardon them, ask forgiveness for them, consult them in the matter. And when you have decided, you've consulted with them, you've taken their sure, you've made your decision, then rely upon Allah, right? Execute and rely upon Allah. Allah loves those who rely upon Him. So if we take that, if we take this principle that we hear all the time of tie your camel and half the wakul, shura, taking advice, taking input, is the tire camel portion of the equation. You're taking, you're accumulating as much data, as much input, as much advice as you possibly can. You make your decision and then you put your trust in Allah. And no matter what type of decision you're making, whether it's personal, whether it's for an organizational purpose, once you've made that decision, make sure that you don't leave out the Salatul Istikhara, right? Your your Shura and your Istikhara go hand in hand. One is tying your camel, and then the other part is the Tawakkul. And then that way, inshallah, you get the Barakah in the decision that you're making, and you're able, because again, we don't ever control, we don't control the results, right? We control the process. So we make sure that we have the right process, and we hope that there's Barakah in the decision, and then inshallah, we get a good outcome and a good result from the decisions that we make. So, those are my thoughts on this idea of the, the sunnah of shura and its role in helping people develop their strategic thinking and also their own personal skills or character development. If you've got any comments, any feedback, uh, please reach out to me via social media or through my website. I've got everything linked up in the show notes, uh, so please make sure to check that out. And don't forget to subscribe and share the episode with a friend. See you in the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.